Alright, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to the second part of the State of the Superhero with Maddie G, a.k.a. Goose, the Robin to my Batman, and no, it is not the Jason Todd uh, Robin, uh, I believe is the hated one, um, but Matt has been awesome, and we did a great podcast together, and as I mentioned in Bizzlecast 49, I think I'm going to release this as Bizzlecast 49.5, uh, it's split neatly into two, and I wanted to do the the big screen, big picture stuff first, which I released in Bizzlecast 49 as State of the Superhero in 2016, talking mostly about movies, but referencing some TV, and so this will actually give you some great context in terms of the television stuff. We talk mostly about the CW shows, Arrow and The Flash, which, although highly flawed, both of them, in some similar ways and some different ways, are really the best comic book shows on network television. Uh, we both agree that Jessica Jones and probably Daredevil are the best overall on Netflix. They have some built-in advantages, obviously, in terms of their format and what they can do and so forth. But we talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the ABC experiment, which doesn't seem to be going so well, and the the break between Marvel Studios, the, the film division at Disney, and uh, you know Marvel Television. Uh, but Jessica Jones and Daredevil doing great on Netflix and some Arrowverse talk about Arrow Flash, uh, mentions of Supergirl and Constantine and other projects. They're trying to get off the ground. And, uh, you know, what seemed like a disadvantage of having two completely separate universes in film and television for DC is now starting to seem like an advantage, especially given, you know, the disaster that is the DCEU at the moment. They've completely uh, restructured their entire hierarchy at the DC movies at Warner Brothers. Uh, Maybe that's for a later podcast. Podcast, but also Chloe Bennett, who's the co-lead with Clark Gregg, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and she's young, and she's super talented, and she's been acting her ass off, as I've been saying for three years, is getting dissatisfied by, you know, being so reliant upon the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but barely talking about it and not integrated at all. Now, there is some... Uh, information that came out today that it's possible Vincent D'Onofrio from Netflix playing Wilson Fisk, a.k.a. Kingpin, might end up on Spider-Man. I'm very skeptical about this, but I've been calling for a blend of the TV and film universes for a while. And so if this is the first step, then I'll be excited about it. So we start with an extended discussion about uh, superheroes on television. I'm able to keep up with that uh, for a while uh, on CW shows, Arrow and Flash, which at their high points are both really, really excellent and a lot of fun to watch. We end up on Netflix talking about lack of sci-fi and fantasy on TV. And then for an extra special bonus, I got Matt with a great mini review, you know, 15, 20 minutes of Captain America Civil War. He wanted to make, as I did, the TV stuff uh, front and center here, but it's worth it to go check out the end, his, his mini review of Civil War. He's got some great insights uh, that Gabriel and Noah and I uh, didn't necessarily talk about in our review of the movie, and so I hope you enjoy this. Keep in mind, we were just talking about Captain America before they get started, and you'll see why it starts with Peggy Carter, and we go in the TV discussion from there. So without further ado, here we go. So they kill Haley Atwell's character, Peggy Carter, in this movie. Mm-hmm. And within a week of this movie coming out, they kill her TV show. Yep. <laughs> she had two seasons. It's still not clear why they got the second season, because the ratings of the first season were not good. Yeah. We're going to move to TV here, Bizzlecasters. 
And that's going to take the lead on a lot of this because he's seen shows that I haven't. Now, this is going to be mostly non-spoilery. Like, we might talk about, like, the only spoilers would be sort of, like, first some first season stuff on some of these shows. N- nothing major or new spoilers, um, but we are going to talk about a lot of shows. So let's start with, with Marvel, since we're there. Okay. So, two weeks ago, or no, let's say three months ago, it looked like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was going to go on indefinitely. There was a chance of Agent Carter being renewed, and the coolest new property was, uh, you know, m- Most Wanted which was going to star really by far the two most popular characters of S.H.I.E.L.D. that weren't in the original cast, um, Lance and and Bobby. Uh, Bobby, who's... What's her nickname? Mockingbird? Mockingbird. Is that her? Yeah. Uh, Those two were amazing from the beginning of season two of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, one of the best reasons to watch it was their, you know, their their bizarre love story um, and, and how hilarious it was, but also relatable and just relaxed they were around each other, those two. I thought they could have carried a show with a, if they had a decent supporting cast. So here we are. They, they they killed Peggy Carter, and they killed Peggy Carter's show, and now they've killed Most Wanted. Right. And, they're, and they've got S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and uh, just to the the comparison going... CW still doing well with Arrow and Flash. Now we hear they're moving Supergirl from CBS to CW for budgetary reasons and ratings reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Matt, just to start with the two biggest um, properties or companies, w- what is going on right now, w- would you say, at Marvel TV um, and uh, DC TV? And I will add that you know Marvel TV is run by different people than the movies, and there's actually a big split. Kevin Feige is not a fan of uh, Kevin Feige being the head of Disney Studios, uh, Marvel Studios at Disney. He's openly not a fan of the people who run the TV property. What's going on, buddy? Yeah, I I mean, Marvel, we'll start with there, is in a weird place because on the one hand, they have Netflix, which that project that, you know, the four series they want to do and then Defenders, that's all pretty much going according to plan. Daredevil was the first season was fantastic. Jessica Jones is the best superhero TV property that there's ever been. Um, Amen. And, and I love The Flash. The Flash is my favorite, but Jessica Jones is a better put together show. The nuance of the character, the complexity, the maturity of dealing with a really difficult subject like abuse and rape uh, and trauma, and the fact that they treat it with the correct tone, not the you know Iron Man jokey tone that's been pretty much the center of all of the movies. Um, that's the best TV show they've done. Um, so that's all going fine. Daredevil season two was not great, but whatever, it had its bright spots. But then you've got the, TV, the network TV shows that are all struggling to a lesser or greater extent. Um, they decided not to go forward with uh, Most Wanted with uh, Nick Blood and Adrian Palicki. I think those are the actor and actress's names. Thank you. You nailed it. Thanks. Um, they are canceling Agent Carter, which is fine because the second season of Agent Carter... It felt it just it felt pointless. Like, why is any of this happening? What does it matter? Um, and then, uh, uh, Agents of Shield has really the third season has not been very good. Um, I mean, I'm people maybe like what they're doing with the current bad guy, but they're kind of running off the you know they're jumping the shark to use uh, the the old cliched term. Um, so I feel like the TV shows are kind of on shaky ground um, with Marvel. I don't know like what the long term is going to be. I, I think Agents of Shield might go off the air 
maybe next season is going to be its last one. They're, the movies don't possible. seem to have anything to do with what happens on the show. You got to figure that by the time they make Inhumans, if they make Inhumans, uh, that'll have something to do with what happened on the show because the last two seasons have just been about Inhumans. Yeah, um, I, th- I, I think... I think when Shield does end after the fourth season, I agree with you that that's going to happen. They're going to look back, and even though Chloe Bennett act, has been acting her ass off despite mediocre scripts, th- that the I- I'm not even going to say that they're going to look back and say we mishandled Inhumans. They're going to look back and say we should have just never introduced the Inhumans. Like we could have had people with superpowers for different reasons and saved the Inhumans property. Although now that they're pushing back the Inhumans. Uh, movie indefinitely it's possible that that just lives in the tv show um but to your point if you think about it the entire show has been bookended by the two cat movies right right? like it didn't really pick up until mid-season one because of the winter soldier and hydra being introduced Mm -hmm. and now we're almost at the end of season three and the final you know the final cat movie for the moment and now there's no more cap until i don't think 2019 in the second avengers finale um but um can it, you know, you know how my theory that everything goes through Cap and Cap goes through everything, or at least has so far. Right. That's you know, Agents of Shield was the direct, if not sequel, the response to the Winter Soldier. And now with the events of Civil War, I, I don't know, you know, in three seasons whether it's really established its own identity. It's like it's so dependent on the MCU, but they refuse to talk about the MCU. Yeah, it's infuriating. Exactly. It's absolutely infuriating. It's it's like either make it an MCU TV show or just go Jessica Jones and say screw it, right? Uh, that's what I think. Yeah. Honestly, and I that's re- just really quickly, and this could be a feeder. And that's why I think is an advantage for the CW shows is they don't have to be beholden to what's going on in the movie studios. Go ahead. And, and and we'll get to this. If I was Greg Berlanti, I would be considering that a blessing that they don't have to worry about all yep. of the shit show that the DCEU movies are very quickly turning into. Uh, sorry, Greg Berlanti being... Uh, the guy who's in charge of all of the DC TV projects, basically. Gotcha. Him and Jeff Johns, but it's really Berlanti who is behind Arrow, Supergirl, Legends, and Flash. I and mean, he's really kind of the showrunner for all four of them. Okay. Um. What I will say with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is it's very obvious with that entire Inhumans plot that they wish they could have mutants in the MCU, but they can't because that's still Fox's property. Because everything that's gone on with the Inhumans is just what the X-Men, you know, it's instead of we hate mutants for no apparent reason, it's we hate uh, Inhumans for no apparent reason. They are threats. They need to be registered. It's the same plots that we have gone over and over and over again with mutants, they just can't be mutants. So instead they're using the Inhumans, which is a way less appealing, way less popular, and way more complicated and less relatable uh, group. You know, because alien soldiers, it's just it's a more complicated and harder to access uh, franchise. Uh, you know, Mar- Marvel property, basically. Yeah, I mean... It's even more bizarre in the comics, is the thing. Yeah, uh, you know, and you know, the comics is one. Of, this is one of the classic examples of, um, you know, a, a bizarro property that Stan Lee or whoever came up with way back in the day, and then in the late nineties, uh, I think it was the late nineties, Paul Jenkins and Jay Lee did a twelve issue in Humans. Uh, yeah, ninety eight, ninety nine, which is considered 
gospel, essentially. Right. I mean, it's considered the Inhumans. Like, you know, Black Bolt and Medusa. I mean, right. all, all, all these characters are the ones that, uh, you know, would be in the movies. And that's why they're not using it on the show. Again, a big mistake to not at least introduce some of the secondary Inhumans from the book on the show. It, but it's not even clear in the comics why they needed this universe with the X-Men. And it's so bizarre. I mean, this, they have this giant dog. I mean, <laughs> we, you who know, can teleport, it, right? Yeah. I mean, if you've seen S.H.I.E.L.D., you have not seen anywhere near the weirdest in humans. Right. And I don't know if that translates into, into any format, and which makes, and we'll get back to this later, which makes, you know, X-Men's inconsistency, to say the least, really frustrating because I, I've been very against Disney getting a hold of X-Men because they have too many properties, but now I'm starting to think it's going to happen. It might be five years, but I'm thinking by 2020, 2021, X-Men's going to be with Disney because it's just not being done justice and, and, and Disney's going to need new properties if they don't want to recycle cap and so forth. So, yeah, I'm with you about S.H.I.E.L.D., man. It's really frustrating. I, I didn't watch much Agent Carter. I am, you know, like, I, I think Most Wanted could have been cool for the same reason Winter Soldier was cool and just that you have a couple, you know, ground-level char- main characters, um, uh, you know, uh, but it still would have been a network show. It seems to be um, much more effective on Netflix. We'll get back to Netflix. Um, why, why don't you continue to, uh, about CW? Um, give me a little narrative about, you know, starting from when, when Arrow came out four or so years ago, and then they added Flash. I love the crossovers between Arrow and Flash. Those are often, like, some of my favorite episodes, even though they're not always the best written. I just love the chemistry of the characters. Um, and the way they introduced Barry Allen, played by Grant Gustin, was brilliant through Arrow. So uh, it just gives a little narrative about CW over the last four or five years and how they got to where they are now. All right. So, yeah. So Arrow uh, was the first. And I think they very much were thinking they wanted a character who is thematically very similar to Batman, but wasn't Batman. Because I've totally. said this before, Batman has just been beaten to death. I mean, I mean. There is no meaning left to be derived from Batman as a character. Um, it, it's why, I mean, it's one of the th- reasons why I think Gotham is such a stupid-ass show, um, which is a DC show on Fox that's sort of a prequel. There's a young Catwoman, like she's 16. There's like a 15-year-old Bruce Wayne. It's mostly about Jim Gordon, played by Ben McKenzie of The O.C., so that should tell you how shitty that is. Um, it's a terrible show. It's sexist. It's dumb. It doesn't know what it is. It's badly plotted. And it's ultimately a futile premise because we know a young Jim Gordon isn't going to fix Gotham because Batman has to show up as an adult to fix it later. Um, So we know whatever Gordon wants to achieve, he's going to fail because Batman's got to show up and the town's still got to be dog shit, you know, in eight years. Um, But it's just when it came out, I was like, really? More Gotham? Nobody needs more Batman stuff. Um, and this Especially is both, without Batman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's the same problem. Actually, there's going to be a new show on sci-fi called Krypton, which is about Superman's grandfather. Oh, I saw that. I was going to forward it to you, but I, I didn't want to infuriate you. <laughs> it's infuriating. It's the same thing as Gotham, basically, because everybody that you're going to watch in that show is going to die horribly within about 20 years of this time the show takes place yeah you know nothing they do is going to matter like the Jorel's grandson is going to survive but he's going to die because he superman doesn't have a grandfather in the comics who's alive when he's you know a baby and sent to earth it's a 
it's a pointless show. I don't understand the appeal of prequels. I don't know if you watched Caprica, but I couldn't stand it in part. Oh, uh, no, I couldn't, I couldn't get through Caprica. No way. Because you know all those people are going to burn to death in like five years. Well, so, I just thought it was poorly casted, poorly written, and poorly executed. It was all it was of those bigger, things as well. Yeah. Um, that was my bigger problem. I, I can live with the, the idea. That's the thing. The problem with prequels, they never work because the execution's always bad. You know, the Hobbit movies are terrible. The Star Wars prequels, terrible. I actually thought, I don't know if you consider it a prequel, if X Men Apocalypse is good, which it doesn't seem like it's going to be, mm-hmm. if, if you consider First Class, Days of Future Past, and let's say an above average apocalypse, that's right. th- that would be the best prequel trilogy ever. I mean, by f- just by default, because sure. it never works elsewhere. It's just impossible. But, you know, again, the reason when the X-Men prequels, quote-unquote, or reboots work, mm-hmm. it's because of the main cast, essentially. Uh, it has, it, you know, it, it's working against itself because it's so hard to make it, you know. But, but when you have decent directing and decent acting, you can make it work. But, yeah, I agree with you in general. Prequels almost never work. It also should be said that, yes, the... Um, First Class and all those movies are prequels. They are also reboots because at the end of Days of Future Past, they basically wipe out everything that happens in the Yeah, first... I've just I've so, described it as a reboot slash prequel. Right. And I don't know if you get frustrated having to differentiate between all of these dumb marketing terms. I get frustrated having to differentiate between all these sure. dumb marketing terms. And sure. I wish there were just more just movies. But um, returning yeah. to the DC uh, TV yes. world. So yes. you have Arrow. Right. Very much, I think, supposed to sort of be Batman, but with a, a property that hasn't really been oversaturated at this point. It's good. The character interactions are great. It's well cast. Stephen Amell kicks ass. Uh, Emily, Who, by the way, is playing Casey Jones in yes. the T- Ninja Turtles movie yep. coming out this summer. Which, I mean, he's a street fighter level guy with some wrestling moves and some stick fighting, which is all stuff that Stephen Amell should be in his wheelhouse at this point. So. I'm yeah, not I have to say, I have I, to say, man. Oh, yeah. no, go ahead. What were you saying? I'm not going to see that movie. I didn't see the no. first Ninja Turtles one. I actually respect Michael Bay for weird reasons, but that doesn't mean I'm ever going to want to see one of his movies. Sure. Um, but he'll probably, you know, Amel will probably be good at it. Um, yeah, or as yeah, good as he can be, be with a part that's probably not going to be very well written. And he can be really funny when they let him be an arrow, actually. Um, Absolutely. Uh, I love Amel. Uh, I mean,. <sighs> It's hard to say who I love more, Amel or Gustin. I think Gustin has a better supporting cast overall, just in terms of the number of characters that I really like and relate to. Mm-hmm. In Arrow, outside of um, of Oliver Queen, you know, I have a thing for his sister Thea, who's great. Bill Holland and Emily Bet Rickards as Felicity is fantastic. Amazing, I and mean, she Please might Diggle. be. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead about Diggle. I, Diggle's good. I really like him. Um, I have never really been too down on Katie Cassidy as Sarah Lance, oh, as Laurel Lance, oh, and she, oh, the show doesn't know what to do with her character. Um, and I'm not going to spoil what happens to her in this latest season, but it's very emblematic of a show that never figures out how to use its character. Um, I mean, talk you know, you talk about the one face thing. She's got one face all the time. Yeah, she's constantly upset and annoyed. And it, it almost like a victimization thing that she's got going on, and it's you know it's little things like the amount of time they spend with her hair and the ridiculous outfits she wears. I mean, it's just impossible to believe her character. Right, even though that is the Black Canary's costume. 
In the costume, she wears No, no, no. Stuff. I'm talking about her lawyerly look. Oh, maybe. Yeah. I mean, they just, they doll her up so, like, Felicity is, is beautiful, but they don't need to be dolling her up all the time. They're constantly dolling up Laurel. Yeah. Laurel's best in the first season when they, when they dial her back, or, they, or I should say they hadn't dialed her up yet. She's best in the first season. She smiles the most. She's the most dimensional. And she has a purpose. I mean, that, you know, she has a, a community law firm to do, help poor people not not unlike uh Daredevil's uh law firm in the in Daredevil in his show the, as the seasons move on they wipe out that that gr- group at the end of season 1 and then she really has nothing to do as nothing. a person other than be black canary in the next bunch of seasons and it definitely hurts uh, yeah and and just the, i mean they spend 5 minutes of her and her dad hugging every single episode. Yeah, this is but, my big problem with the CW. It's a little too mushy and huggy for me. I get that it's CW. Flash has this problem also. And and, and there I even like the huggy characters, Joe, um West and uh and Iris. I like those characters, but it's still a lot of mushy piano music type stuff. A little Do bit. You, do you feel like CW? Uh, let me put it this way: Do you feel like the Arrow and and Flash creators feel pressure from the network and or DC to have some of that, you know, kind of corny, cheesy, mushy stuff, or that's just that's just the vision that they have? It, it's especially out of place in Arrow and Flash, which is sort of a feel good family show. I, I, it makes more sense. I personally think Arrow season one was was dark and violent, and it was the best because it was dark and violent. I don't think w- once he stops killing people and everyone's touchy feely and huggy in Arrow, I don't think it works quite as well. But that's just me. Go ahead. The first season of Arrow is also the most raw in yep. uh, a lot of ways, uh, probably deliberately, and I I like that. I don't know if that was my favorite season. Um, I maybe like season two a little bit more. I'm not sure why. Um, I don't know if it's DC pressuring them or if it's the CW pressuring them. Right. Um, I can't remember what show is the other show on Wednesday nights that with Arrow, but I feel like it's one of their sci-fi YA future shows where everybody is hugging all the time because the stakes are so dire and everybody's emotional. So I think that has less to do with DC and more to do with the type of programming that particular network uh, wants to do. Um, and I should warn you, if you ever start watching Supergirl, it can be a little mushy too. Um, yeah, that's probably not going to happen, even though she's a super cutie. She um, is. Uh, the show has a really good heart, and I think it is very much trying to be empowering. Um, it's just a lot more heavy-handed with it than Jessica Jones is. Um, although it should be said, Melissa Benoist and Kristen Ritter have both expressed great interest and appreciation for what each other is doing. So if they like each other's properties, I'm not sure what right I have to, I don't know, criticize, but Oh, absolutely. I mean, you should watch the episode where the flash shows up on Supergirl Cause it is just, it's so funny and so adorable. And it came out one week after BVS. So it was like this breath of fresh air. Yeah. Um, yeah. So- I, I would say, um, I don't know if you agree with me. I'm going to go back on something that we, I'm going to go back on something that we um, discussed earlier mm-hmm. uh, where I said, that, you know, I'd love to see Grant Gustin on the big screen. You rightly pointed out that, that he's really made for the television. Me saying that was more of just frustration with DC not casting well. Yeah. And then when they cast well, they get stuck on CW. But 
Thinking about it, Stephen Amell, and we're going to see it with Ninja Turtles, but even as a more prominent character, I think could do well on the big screen. He's like the perfect amount of good looking where it's not annoying as a guy. I'm sure girls think he's hot. I don't know. Any girls who watch Arrow, but my guess is... I know for a fact girls who I know who watch Arrow think Stephen Amell is very attractive. I mean, there's a reason they have him do the shirtless... Yeah, uh, the shirtless salmon ladder stuff. I've commented in season one, he's the most (laughs) sexualized character on the show. They don't do anything... He's a piece of meat. They treat him like a piece of meat. Totally. Shirt off. You know, look upping at the camera shot is up, which would, you know, like if he's wearing a skirt, it would be looking up at. And what's great is. is, I mean, I'm I'm fine with a show where the Uh, sexual objectification is of men instead of women. And and we get that objectification uh, verbally from Felicity. Right. Who's sitting there trying to focus on the computer. And what's great is, for framing reasons, you know, they have his pull up apparatus directly in front of her computer. Yeah. But then they just turn it into an ongoing joke where she's always talking about how just dis- you know distracting it is yeah. or how wonderful it is or whatever. <laughs> I like the it. first time Barry sees it, he's like, "What do you call that thing?" And she's like, "My weekly distraction." <laughs> <laughs> God, and that's and this is what's great about Iron Flash uh, is Felicity is the perfect bridge between those two shows. Yeah. Now I met Felicity Flash first because I watched season one Flash and then uh, Arrow. Um, and so I was already sold on her chemistry, not just with Barry, but with the, uh, science nerd duo on Flash, um, um, blanking on their, on their names. Um, oh, uh, the character names or the actor names? Both. (laughs) Cisco Ramon and Caitlin Snow. Caitlin, right. I believe the actors are, I think it's Carlos Valdez and Panabaker, I think is the last name of the, the one who plays Caitlin Snow. Danielle Panabaker, yep. yeah, because Iris yep. Patton is, is and Carlos Valdez, yeah. So that's pretty good. Yeah, um, nice job. Um, anyways, but yeah, the 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 fact that like you know the, they'll the, Caitlin will do medical stuff for Felicity, and Felicity's constantly upgrading their computers. I mean, their shared universe is 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 really fun. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the Netflix shared universe, um, you know, will, will feel as organic. I guess they've already set it up by having Luke Cage be a major character in like you know four or five of the Jessica Jones episodes. Um, th- that might that might have been the best setup TV setup ever. Um, although you know uh, this is a question I've been wanting to ask you. So they introduced the Flash in season th- two. Uh, they tease Flash in season two of Arrow, right? So the the reactor meltdown in. Uh, in Central City happens in terms of the timeline, I think at the end of Arrow Season 2 or between 2 and 3, right? Basically, so what happens is that episode, those two, that two-part episode where Barry shows up uh, in season two, that's around. And really quickly, really quickly for the for the Bizzlecast listeners, if you're not familiar, Barry Allen is the Flash, but they introduce Barry Allen before he, well before he bec- um, becomes the Flash, right? Um, he is a forensic scientist uh, for the Central City Police Department by day. Um, in season two of Arrow, Arrow is investigating. These, a series of brutal murders that remind him of some stuff he saw on the island. Barry comes to investigate. At first he says it's because of, you know, he thinks it's related to a murder in Central City. It turns out that's kind of a lie. He's just investigating right. something that seems bizarre because his whole life has been characterized by a traumatic incident when he was a kid involving something he can't explain. He winds up befriending uh, Oliver Queen. He has to help him. He learns his secret identity. 
he this is all around the midseason break of season two. And that of Arrow. was important. Sorry. That was important that he learned uh Oliver's secret identity before becoming the Flash because it gives him instant credibility as a superhero. Yeah. Um and so that was, then, that was my interpretation at least. Yeah, I would say so. And it gives him a network to to fall back on a little bit because very much the especially in the early episodes of season one of The Flash, the structure of the show is very similar to the structure of uh, Arrow in terms of yeah. having tech support and having people back at a base. Yeah, The dynamics are different in part because all I'm going to say about season one is Harrison Wells, uh, played brilliantly by Ben Cavanaugh, is Brilliant. not what he appears to be. Um, and the show makes that clear instant, instantly. The, see, the pilot of The Flash makes it clear yep. something is going up wrong with uh, uh, Harrison Wells. But that's all Is happens. the reverse Flash thing as important in the comics as it is in the show? Yeah. Okay. Uh, in the comics, the reverse Flash uh, does murder Barry's uh, mother in some versions. He is definitely a recurring foe. He impersonates Barry for, at one point. At one point, Barry Allen snaps his neck, is put on trial for murder, and instead of going to jail, runs into the future where his wife has been resurrected. And, and basically, he lives out the last five years before he's killed in Crisis on Infinite Earths in the future. He even has children who then have grandchildren who go on. One becomes Impulse, who was a great character in the 90s. Uh, the other becomes Excess, who was part of the Legion of Superheroes for a while. Um, I don't know how much they're going to do all of that. Um, in the Young Justice cartoon, they actually do talk about that, which is funny. Um, anyway, he shows up mid-season, season two. He helps Arrow solve a problem. He goes back. The, can- the reactor explodes. And then he's in a coma for about all of the rest of season two. And then he wakes up. Nine months, I think it was. Whatever it is. I mean, yeah. he wakes up in time for the pilot next September or whenever it debuts. And that's right around the same time Arrow season three kicks off because each of them in, in the in the first episode of season three of Arrow, he gets a call that Barry is awake and goes to meet him. And then in the flash pilot, you see him talking with Arrow in that same conversation. Right. Uh, so that's the timeline. Uh, Snow and Ramon actually show up in a yes. late season two episode of Arrow yep. and hint at what's going on. Yeah. Um, I love I love how I, I can't remember when it, Ramon just openly uh, Cisco just openly wants to see the Arrow Cave. He yeah. calls it the Arrow Cave. He's like I, it, he doesn't even try and hide. It. He goes I need to see it. I need to you know it's like that's what's great about about Cisco's character is he's he really is the audience. Um, in terms of just being so geeked out. And as you pointed out, it's fun on a show for the characters to comment about how cool what's going on is. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, you know, after the events of end of season one, early season two, Flash, they have to be a little bit more serious. And, you know, I don't want to get too spoilery. There's some twist with Cisco's character, as you know, that I'm not thrilled about, or I just felt were unnecessary. I will say, man. They're I, all I, twists, though, based on the comics, which is sure. interesting because in the comics, uh, the char- vibe, the superhero that his character is loosely based on, is best known for being the first member of the Justice League to ever be killed in combat. So yeah. I don't know if they're going to do anything with that. Caitlin Snow is a bad guy in the comics, and they have kind of addressed that, but made it clear that this Caitlin Snow is not going to become Killer Frost. Right. So I- I'm not spoiling things if I'm talking about the... No, 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 no. You're doing good. 
Um, so I think uh, all of that is. I I like the directions they've taken uh, Cisco's character. Yeah, um, I, I, I just didn't feel like he needed something extra to what he had. He was already so compelling. Yeah. Um, but I will say, I, <laughs> I really liked Eddie. Um, yeah, he was great. I wish Eddie was still around. At first, you're like, oh, he's just a typical boyfriend douchebag. You know who he reminds me of just in terms of his delivery? Mm-hmm. His comic delivery reminds me of a smoother, better-looking Alan Tudyk. He has sort of a quirky Alan Tudyk comedic delivery that took a few episodes for me to latch onto, but I ended up really liking him. And here's the problem, you know, um, <laughs> these series should have more characters. Um, it, it should be more <laughs> like no, it should be. But I'm talking about main characters. Like it should be like Battlestar, where you've got like 12 to 15 characters that you can build episodes around. Because otherwise, I mean, look at it. Look at look at Arrow. The characters I like in Arrow, Stephen Amell as Oliver Queen, and then his team. So you've got David Ramsey as John Diggle, mm-hmm. you've got Emily Bett Rickards as Felicity Smoke, and uh, that's a great team. I love his sister Thea, who I haven't gotten to this yet, but you know it's pretty open. Everyone knows at this point she's a superhero. I don't yeah. know where they got Colton Haynes and thought that Roy Harper was a good character. Not a uh, fan. Roy Harper is Colton Haynes might not have been a good actor. Roy Harper is one of the most important characters in the Green Lantern mythology. Oh, I, 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 I'm aware of that. I'm just saying. I, I didn't like the casting of that. I don't like any of the Lances. Sarah is cool when she comes in. but Yeah, Sarah, Katie Lotz is a good actress. But, but it only highlights how weak Katie Cassidy and um, Paul Blackthorne are. Not as actors, but just the way they don't know how to write for those two characters. And th- now the Flash comes a little bit closer to an ensemble cast, mm-hmm. um, es- you know, especially in the first season when you have uh, Tom Cavanaugh, and then you have two science nerds. Uh, and the thing with Felicity that makes her so impressive is it, that's the only show where there's only one science nerd, and she has to do all the exposition herself mm-hmm. and talk to her. That's why she's constantly talking to herself because she doesn't have someone to bounce off of, you know. And in Shield, you've got Fitzsimmons, you know, you've got Fitz and Simmons bouncing yeah. ideas off each other, and and, and the uh, dynamic it, is almost the same in the Flash if you think about it. Simmons yeah. and uh, Fitz yeah. and Fitz are basically one's bio, one's tech. It's the same thing at the Flash. Caitlin is bio, Cisco is tech, basically. And gender-wise, it's the same, too. The women are the bio, and the men are the tech. Um, although sure. Fitz knows everything. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but, but anyways, you had Iris, and you had Iris's dad, Joe West, played by Jesse L. Martin, who's fantastic. Yeah. Um, basically playing the same guy he was in Law & Order, but you, know, you cast a guy who you know can fill the role, and he does a great job with it. But he, he makes the mushy stuff tolerable for me. Mm-hmm. You know, the mushy stuff between Joe West and Iris West is just way more digestible than the Lances. Um, and I guess I what I'm saying is, is... Yeah, go ahead. What I was going to say is, I think some of that is also because Joe actually has stuff to do. Paul Blackthorne's character, Quentin Lance, is great in the first couple seasons. But as the show goes on, all he's there to do, it seems like, is talk about how much he loves his kids. It's like all he does. He doesn't do cop stuff. He just stands around and talks about how much he likes his kids, and it's boring. Joe actually does things, and, he's, and he has his own uh, arcs that he has to deal with. In season two, they introduce a son that he didn't know he had, and he's got a, you know, a biological son, and he's got to learn how to incorporate that into a family that now has a daughter 
a adopted son who is a superhero and you know putting himself in life threatening danger every right. day right. and now he's got this kid who he didn't know he had who's you know a, a teenager and has got kind of his own thing he's got his own issues and and his own complexities so they give him an actual thing to to have to deal with on his own all that Quentin Lance does is talk about his kids. All right, BizzleCast listeners, I think it's time to put the spoiler warning on because I think Matt and I can't go forward talking about these shows uh, without talking about what goes on on these shows. Mm -hmm. So you've got a good introduction to a couple of the ABC shows, some of the CW shows. I'm not done with CW yet, buddy. I just want to throw the spoiler warning on, and then we'll talk about Netflix um, and then some of the other media. So you've been warned. So, okay. One thing I wanted to say is you mentioned yeah. that they need to introduce more characters. I actually think yeah. Legends of Tomorrow, segueing to another CW show in this same Arrow universe, is Which a is good, the team-up show, right? It's the team-up show. And it's a good example of maybe why that's a bad idea. And How maybe, did Sarah Lance come back to life, by the way? Uh, the Lazarus Pit. The thing that resurrects people <laughs> that Ra's al Ghul has. And okay. that's – it's fine – it enables them to bring uh, Matt Ryan from Constantine, which we'll get to at some point, onto the show for a one-episode cameo where he is fantastic. That episode is awesome just because he was great. Constantine, for people who don't know, was on the air for basically one abbreviated season. Yep. It was put on – it aired Fridays at 9 p.m., which I don't understand why you put a TV show on in that time slot at all. Nobody is going to watch it, and right. nobody watched it. He was great. The show was pretty cool at times, and it did deal a lot with some of the plots from his comic series Hellblazer, which is a very beloved uh, Vertigo – I think it's Vertigo um, – comics line. The right. show itself – the other people on the show were not good. The woman cast uh, to play Zed Martin, kind of the, his female assistant, has the one look problem, and her one look is, I'm vulnerable, let's have sex. Um <laughs> The the guy playing his friend. Well, that's like it's like Laurel. Laurel's like I'm vulnerable. Let's hug. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Um, but it's like the only face this actress makes. The guy who plays his taxi cab driving accomplice. He like comes in and out of the show. Like he was only available to shoot half the episodes. Um, and then the guy playing the angel that he talks to a lot. The show deals with angels and demons. He's a he. He can do magic, but he doesn't like using it because he thinks it kind of hurts his soul to use it. Hmm. Um, it's an interesting premise. He was great. The show was not very good. When he comes yeah. on Arrow for that one episode, it's very good. Legends of Tomorrow, though, is really, really, really up or down, and lately it's mostly been down. It, it's, and it is suffering because it has too many characters, and the characters driving the plot are not the strong ones. I, I'm... Kira Renee or Sierra Renee, however it's pronounced, the one who plays Hawk Girl, is terrible. Mm. Uh, she's really uh, just maybe it's the character's not well written, but she sucks. She's not fun to watch. She's not interesting. Uh, she doesn't do a good job with a character of Hawk Girl who's pretty complicated anyway. Um, the guy who plays Hawk Man, Falk Henschel, is a very bad actor. Casper Crump as Vandal Savage is very one note. The best two people on that show are Dominic Purcell as Heatwave and Wentworth Miller as uh, Captain Cold, who both should just go back to being on The Flash because they're great interacting with each Captain other. Captain Cold is awesome. Yeah, I love that Leonard guy. Smart is fantastic, but I miss him <laughs> on The Flash. He's one of yeah. The Flash's most recurring bad guys. 
They don't hate each other the way Reverse Flash does, but he keeps showing up. So he needs to go back on the Flash, and it's been announced he's not going to be a regular on Legends of Tomorrow Season 2. I'd actually like to see him on Arrow. I think just verbally, um, uh, there there could be some great verbal sparring between Oliver Queen and... uh, and uh, and Captain Cold, I think that would be cool. He wouldn't um, be the flat, the first Flash rogue to go over to Arrow. Sure. Captain Boomerang last season, uh, when the Flash shows up for the team up episode, is a Flash right. bad guy, not an Arrow right. bad guy. Okay, can I give you an example of what I mean though by having more characters to draw from? Right, a guy that well, we talked Battlestar about. Battlestar is your example, yes. and it's a great example. But I think it's what makes Battlestar great is because right. Legends shows how hard it is to pull that shit off. Right, so let's take a character we talked about in Man of Steel but never got a chance to really flesh out, which is Tom O'Pennicott, who plays Carl Agathon, a.k.a. Hilo. Right. He's a fan favorite, but I think even true Hilo fans would acknowledge that he's a two-dimensional character and not a three-dimensional character, but that doesn't mean you can't give him three-dimensional arcs. What do I mean by that? Well, um, in the first season, he's spending the whole time trying to survive while being tricked by Sharon, who's not Sharon, and then turning Sharon and impregnating her uh, without realizing either of those things were happening, or getting possible. back on the right and or possible, um, and and then getting back on the Galactica. And you said, well, once he gets back to the Galactica, he doesn't have much to do. Well, I would disagree. I, I think um, two of the most key episodes, one in season two, or I should say, th- let me put it this way: season two, season three, season four. Both have a multiple episode arc where Hilo is one of the main characters and is extremely critical to the series. In season two, it's the Pegasus trilogy, where him and the chief stop Sharon from getting raped in one of the most powerful television scenes ever, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't believe that they really were raping someone on the sci-fi network. And <laughs> the, the uncut version is actually even more disturbing. Um, and... Uh, in, in season three, there's the one where the the president, uh, President Roslin and Adama, authorize the genocide of the Cylons through a biological backdoor biological attack. Right. Hilo Hilo sabotages it, even though it's not going to kill his own wife, who's a Cylon. He doesn't want to see her entire species go, even though the species is trying to kill their species. He sabotages it and gets off scot free for it because that's just how Adama works. And then in season four, I mean, you know, not everyone loves the Hera storyline and how they worked in Hera. Um, into the sort of second half of, of season four, which was the weakest half of, of any season. But, you know, the scene where he sleeps with the wrong Sharon, uh, who then kidnaps his daughter, is just unbelievable. And the best Hilo performance is when he, he begs Captain, or he begs Admiral Adama in like the third to last episode while crying to go after his daughter. Um, I, you know, it, it, that's what I'm saying. Is like you, you can have Hilo do a little hide and seek throughout the seasons and then when the right storyline comes along you know the problem with flash and arrow is the cuts are so fast between scenes and you just don't have a ton of characters and so you end up with the villain of the week problem um which you know i, I don't love and, and I, i'm curious now I, I, you know as you pointed out when i was just getting started with Aaron flash you're like look it's going to get more serialized but to be honest, it really hasn't. I, I mean, I guess Arrow, with, with uh, Malcolm Merlin coming back, that's sort of a more uh, serialized storyline for sure. Um, I, I guess what I'm saying is, with, with the limited size of the cast and the limited resources, how sustainable are these, are these franchises? And we'll stick to Flash and Arrow for now, because those are the two I'm familiar with. Right. 
Sorry, I, I got lost in that a little no, bit. So I mean, what's yeah, the exact I'm, question you're asking? The sustainability of, of the formula for these for these shows. I honestly don't know. I mean, Arrow has gotten its quality has started to go down a little bit in the last few episodes. It's been kind of up or down. It's been kind of uh, melodramatic instead of actually emotional. Right. Flash is still going pretty strong, um, and I but I do worry with Flash what the stakes are going to be uh, going forward because season one, okay, it's reverse Flash. It's on one Earth. Uh, yep. It's fine. It's a, it's a good epi- uh, arc. Season right. two is all about introducing the multiverse, where you have parallel Earths and bad guys jumping. Between- Which I love. You know, I love this sci-fi stuff. Oh, I think it's great. I think it's good, and I think it's well handled. I think Teddy Spears is very good as Jay Garrick, and we've announced. Oh, dude, I've been meaning to tell you. I love the alternate Flash costume yeah. from Earth 2 with the helmet. Yeah, which and is like exactly the- what Jay Garrick's costume looks like in the comics. <sighs> And, I love it. I love that. I want that helmet. It's so cool. Yeah, and uh, uh, like the the blue pants and the red vest with the upwards yeah. moving lightning bolt. It that's awesome. great comics. One of my favorite moments in season two is the first time you see Garrick in costume and Barry Allen together. At the end of an episode, they both run towards a woman to save her, and there's a wall between them. That is literally an image from the comics from a series called The Flash of Two Worlds. That's the cover of that comic, which is the comic that introduced the idea of Earth-1 and Earth-2. It's a really well-realized comic image. Okay, so here's... Sorry, go ahead. ahead. I'm going to lead to a bigger picture question about Flash here, and Arrow, but especially Flash, which is Flash, for the most part, sticks to your personal philosophy about comic books that it's about saving people. Yes. And preventing people, even bad guys, from getting killed, if possible. Yes. But I will say two things about Flash in season one alone that contradict your theory. Mm-hmm. One, when they get these bad guys, they lock them in, in, in self-contained isolation. It's yep. not even clear how they feed these people. They can't <laughs> even look out of a window. You know, I mean, the, the, and they shut it out. They can't even look out of the glass. I don't see how that's, you know, humane at all. Um, but even more so, Barry risks the state of his entire universe to save his mom and then doesn't even do it. And so, I mean, after everything that the Flash has been building towards, to be so sloppy and, you know, and so obsessed with saving his mom and not seeing that, even though they said it could destroy both universes, I rolled my eyes at that. And I rolled, not because of uh, it didn't work within the show, it totally does, but I rolled my eyes because you're always preaching about not killing people, not killing people, blah, 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 you know? But how is that different than Ultron, you know? Or how is that different than, you know, like like BVS and, and so forth. It, it's 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 selfishness on the part of the the superhero. And maybe that's supposed to be a bit of of a, of a character flaw, and that's why they felt they had to go that way. Go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is, first of all, uh, if you look at my Facebook page, there is a note I wrote midway through season one where I made a bunch of predictions about what was going to happen, and right. one of them was that Barry was going to ultimately let the uh, Reverse Flash kill his mom. And I was totally right about that. I was right about – I saw that coming a mile away. Okay. Uh, well, but, I'm sorry. I want to get back to that. I need to ask you about this. Yeah. Okay. So I love how they handled it. He goes to the future. I really didn't know if he was going to save his mom or not. I, I, I wasn't sure. I was on the edge of my seat, really. And then he sees himself. 
and his other self put all he does is put his hand up as if to say, "Don't stop this." Yeah. First of all, brilliantly executed from just a, uh, a you know, photographic standpoint, an amazing yeah. image, very affecting. So the question is, since I haven't seen all the way to the end of season two, do they explain why uh, his other version of himself told himself to not kill kill mom? No. So far, we haven't seen or, the scene where the Flash stop the back in time to fight the reverse Flash. Um, you know, the older version of him. We don't know anything about that yet. But was uh, it a universe-changing type thing? Like, the, the other version of him that was... I mean, there's at least three versions of the Flash in that room. Because oh, there's, there's... Oh, yeah, there's Young Barry, there's... There, there's three Barrys. One Barry, and there's Future Barry. Right. Um, and f- so Future Barry is saving Baby Barry or whatever, or Young Barry, and also telling Season 1 Barry to not <laughs> interrupt the flow of events. It, yes. Is this one of those, like, you just need to let the timeline play out? Or is yes. it... Okay. That's what I think it is. And what I was I think there's say- hints of... I'm sorry. I think there is hints of, you know, him wanting a, a future with Joe and Iris, which wouldn't have happened because the events, I mean, you know, would have been completely right. changed. I think there is an element to that. And I love, you know, I love time loop stuff. I thought they handled it well. I was just curious if you had an interpretation as to why, why future Barry says, no, don't, don't stop this from happening. I, I don't know that season one Barry understands exactly what the reasoning of future Barry is for stopping him. But yes, when he comes back after he refuses to kill, uh, to save his mom, Right. Reverse Flash says, you could have had your family, and he says, I already have one. So yes, he does ultimately yep. choose that the life that he has is better for him. The thought I wanted to finish is, in Season 2, he acknowledges that all of these portals that are bringing Zoom and all these other metahumans from Earth 2 to, to his world and screwing everything up is his fault. And Season 1 isn't about saving his mom until he discovers he, he can. It's about getting his dad out of jail, proving his dad innocent, and catching his mom's murder. Then when he is presented with this golden apple of you could actually use your powers to save your mom, I'll get to go home, but you get to save your mom, and all of his friends are telling him to do it. Joe is telling Barry in that season one finale he should go back in time and save his mom. I know. Um, so where is the calculus about killing civilians? Uh, you know, they spend the whole season going, you know, to incredible lengths not to kill anybody. And then they're like, eh, we'll open up a portal so we can save one person, maybe, and could tear apart the whole universe. Didn't add up for me from a, a, a moral ethical standpoint. But just in terms of the character interactions, it, it, it worked for me. But I was thinking of you when that happened. And I whether thought you, that know, the the opportunity was so great and touched on something so troubled, like unsettled in Barry's psyche that it was too good. uh, It was too tempting to just completely say, no, it's too dangerous that he was at least going to experiment with it. As I said, I predicted he was going to ultimately allow the reverse flash to kill his mom, that he was going to realize it wasn't worth what the cost was going to be. Yep. Um, they and needed then to complicate to, his character. They needed to make him a little bit darker. Yeah, I exactly. totally supported that. Yeah. You know, he gets to say goodbye to his mom and that's the, some of the piece he needs. Although season two, an episode that just aired that Kevin Smith directed addresses how upset he still is and how much he still misses his mother. Um, what I was, uh, so yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of where we're at with Flash. But I'm a little worried that now we've introduced two Earths 
And really, we've introduced three because Super because uh, Flash does go to Supergirl's Earth, which is a third one, I guess. Oh, I didn't even realize that she's not in their world. No, she is on a whole other uh, universe, um, which is why they don't know who she is and they don't know who Superman is. There's there doesn't seem to be a Superman in Earth One in Barry's Earth. There is Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman in Earth Two because when they go to Barry's house. There is a phone that has speed dial, and the li- names listed on it are like Hal, Bruce, Diana, and Clark. Uh, <laughs> so, which the episode where they go to Earth Two is like the most comic booky thing I've ever sure. seen. It, it's just so full of Easter eggs and comic. It's if yep. you're a fan, you're going to geek out about that episode. If you know the Flash comics, um, it's it's yeah. really well executed. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I never would have thought to read a Flash comic, but I could see myself doing it because of the time travel stuff. I love the time travel stuff in the X Men comic books. I see read uh, the Flash Rebirth by Jeff Johns. Um, that's a pretty good run. I'd look at maybe any of the stuff Mark Wade did when he was on the Flash for a number of years. Um, he was kind of the late 90s Wally West Flash, but he wrote and some great Flash comics. But my point about scale is you go from one Earth to now three Earths. What is the plot of Flash Season 3 going to be? If well, I think, I think they're going to bring Supergirl to one of their Earths. So, uh, now that she's on CW, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to well, have her. I think what they're going to do is have all of the characters from all of the shows, which is now even easier because she's on CW – come together to fight i'm pretty sure the next plot has got to be crisis on infinite earths where by the way quick quick interruption Mm -hmm. uh a new mark wade flash is coming out this september yeah uh because they're doing a thing called rebirth that starts actually in about two weeks um where they're basically they're going to end some of the new 52 they're going to restart the old numbering for some of the comics they're going to bring in some characters that haven't had their own series in a while. They're, it's a sort of a soft reboot. Um, it might suck. They're, they're saying it's going to be awesome, but they said Convergence was going to be awesome, and Convergence was horrible. So do you, um, prefer, the Johns, do you, do, uh, do you prefer the Johns or the, um, the Wade stuff? I would say probably, actually, I would take Mark Wade over Jeff Johns on Flash. Jeff Johns has done great work on Green Lantern. He's done I great don't, work I on don't love Mark Wade. I'm sorry, I don't love Mark Wade's uh, Daredevil stuff. Although it's more the art I don't like as opposed to the writing. Uh, I, that's not his area anyway. But I, I think Mark yeah. Wade is really talented. I do um, too. I do. Have too. you ever just... read uh, Kingdom Come? No. Okay, that's a graphic novel, Elseworlds, like alternate future DC thing that came out in the late okay. '90s. The art is Alex Ross, who, if you've ever seen what he does, he's like a painter. He, he there's no comic illustrator like him he does just beautiful stuff and just Um, a sidebar in comic books real quick um it also draws heavily on on apocalypse and the book of revelation yeah i love this stuff so you know what's it called kingdom come kingdom come four-part elseworld series probably the best thing that came out of dc in the 90s i i would uh, yeah i would probably say that um definitely better than any of the event things like nightfall Nightfall yeah, they, was very good. Um, they that, are releasing a 20th anniversary, Kingdom Come. They are. In 
exactly four days. <laughs> Considering I already own all four separate graphic novels and a go. compendium that came You'll out five good. years later, I don't think I'm going to buy this one. Yeah, just just for the listeners out there, Kingdom Come with almost 500 reviews is well over four and a half stars. Which, if you know anything about Amazon, is almost impossible. <laughs> so that's how good it is. I'm definitely going to check that out. Um, I have to say, man, the, the, the Civil War comics are very underwhelming. Uh, I had heard that they were. I didn't know if I read them before. Uh, at least the initial Mark Millar one it isn't great. Um, the Black Panther one is good just because Hudlin's behind it, um, and I love Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Um, real quick plug, I, I, I finally got the uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates new um, Black Panther. I had to read the first one digitally, which was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, reading digital comics on, on computer is an excellent way to read comics. It's beautiful in the high res. You can do it on your phone, iPad, with Marvel Unlimited. Anyways, um, and I got the first paper issue, number two, and the same day I got it, Chadwick Boseman posted a picture of him reading the number two um, on his Facebook page, which was pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's true. Comics have really been up and down, um, and you guys, you know, and you you have guys like Wade and Bendis and so forth who are behind a whole bunch of different properties. Um Really quickly, can we uh, jump to Arrow? Yeah. So, um, But just to wrap up, if they do yes. Crisis on Infinite Earths, which would be the next logical step if they keep raising the stakes for the Flash, Crisis on Infinite Earths ends with Barry Allen dying for a while. So, like, for uh, he was dead for a good 15 years before they brought him back in the comics. He's not, uh, Bucky, de- not Bucky dead. Yeah, exactly. Bucky Barnes. Well, no, you know, there used to be a term, Bucky, before they brought Bucky back in The Winter Soldier, it was about 60 years between Bucky dying and him coming back right, in exactly. The Winter Soldier. So there used to be a term, Bissell Cast listeners, called Bucky Dead, um, which ah, referred to... Bucky Dent, who was a no, baseball player no. in Red Sox infamy. No, not Bucky Dent. Um, and Bucky Dead, there was, only th- there was only three characters in Marvel who were considered Bucky's Ed before 2005, which were Bucky... Ben Parker? Um, no, uh, Bucky, uh, Gwen Stacy, and Gwen Stacy's father in Superman. Those three. Um, but then, of course, they brought back Gwen Stacy as Emma, Emma Stone, whatever, um, and Bucky's back. So there's no more Bucky dead. So officially, you never stay dead in the comic books. Yeah, there's really very, very few people... Jason Todd on DC, the second Robin, the only character that I've, I know of who was so annoying, fans voted to have him beaten to death, is yep. back. Oliver Queen died and came back. Superman has died two or three times and come back. Uh, I th- sort of Batman died at one point and came back a little bit. Hal Jordan died and came back. I mean, yep. uh, so nobody ever stays dead. But if they, I don't quite know what they're going to keep doing with The Flash. If they do Crisis... What happens after that? Do they end the show? Do right. they make the season four, the first four episodes is about getting Barry back from the Speed Force because season two does establish you can go into the Speed Force and then come out of it, um, which is basically what happens in the comics. Well, and this is the great transition. Mm-hmm. Is all the, all the nerdy Flash stuff you've been talking about for the last 10, 15 minutes is the opposite of Arrow. Right. And so the fact that they could make those two shows work in the same universe mm-hmm. and make... I mean, the Flash could easily take care of both Central City and Starling City. Right. Right. But you never really question it because it's two different universes. They make Central City more like, you know, Chicago or something. Or Metropolis. 
I'm just trying to compare it to a real city. Sure. Like, like it's a nice city. Yeah. The central city. Starling City is more like Gotham yeah. or you know New York in the in the '60s or something like that. And I've said uh, this before: the Flash aerodynamic is the Superman, Superman Batman, 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 but right. but just with new properties. Um, I'm not going to go into the whole rant. Go to one of my other podcasts with you, and I, I go into that in depth. But I mean, it maybe just this is a freshness element. Mm-hmm. But having watched neither. Let's put it this way. Having seen or read almost nothing other than Batman or Superman since I was a kid, up mm-hmm. until the last year or so, I much prefer Flash and Arrow to Batman and Superman. Yeah, me too. I think because it's fresh, because it's, I think it's been better executed, certainly than BVS, uh, better than Man of Steel, better than Superman Returns. Um, I, I don't know if Arrow is better than the Nolan movies. I certainly think... That Batman is a less well translated comic character than this is a. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a freshness is is some of the best of what makes this dynamic work. Um. So okay. So uh, here's the game plan for the rest of the the episode. Okay. I want to talk Era because. Yep. <laughs> there's very few shows that I have such bipolar feelings about um, as Arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to jump to Netflix okay. after that. Um, Matt pointed out that Walking Dead is something we have not talked about at all. And while yeah, I, and- I'm not into that stuff and I've never seen it, I know that it's a big deal. It's supposed to be good. Also, my boy Bear McCreary does the music for that as well. Um, the guy who did the Battlestar music, the Sarah Connor Chronicles music. He does the Shield music. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite TV uh, music guy. Um, and then we're going to jump sort of to you know our final... Um, or not final, but sort of our, our big picture state of the superhero stuff that we teased in the beginning where we're going to talk about TV and movies and alternative media. So really quickly about Arrow, man. Um, I mean, Stephen... Okay, let's put it this way. You couldn't have The Flash without Grant Gustin, and you couldn't right. have The Arrow without Stephen Amell. Yep. In, in neither case, is there anyone that you could tell me would be better in that role? Because you can't have, you know... Uh, I don't know, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis or or someone of his caliber acting in these roles. I mean, these are TV roles. The fight choreography on Arrow is spectacular, or at least has been through the first couple seasons. Uh, I mean, in some ways it's more impressive than Daredevil season one, because Daredevil season one, while it had a couple great fights, was also just a lot of close shots of of punching and, and just hearing. Arrow, they really pull the camera back. I mean, they do serious choreography. On Arrow, it, it, it reminds me of the Winter Soldier, not in terms of anything having to do with tone or story or or or, or aesthetics, but just in the mid camera shots. I'm always talking about mm-hmm. in the Winter Soldier, you can always see what's going on. In, in Civil yeah. War, it was either way pulled back for the epic superhero stuff or super right. close up and shaky cam, Jason Bourne style, like mm-hmm. in the beginning. I, I I prefer the you know, and that's one of the things I love about the Matrix movies is that they choreograph the shit out of the fights, and so everything's mid camera with the matrix you can tell exactly what's going on some people yeah, that love that close combat style of shooting is definitely winter soldier and arrow there's a lot of parallels and you can tell that steven amell is doing a lot of the fighting which is re- oh, yeah. really impressive no, um, he like trains year-round in parkour and uh stick fighting i mean i don't know how many of the stunts and uh action fighting he actually does but he 
is definitely trains the shit out of oh, himself. Oh yeah, and he's he's um he's actually my age. He's from Toronto. He's from Canada. Um, he actually just turned uh, thirty five. Um, so still young, but still impressive for a thirty five year old. The Queen family saga was so great. The, mm-hmm. But by the time Thea is not really his sister anymore and the mom gets killed and they take Walter out of the picture. Walter, is that his name? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I know who you're talking about. I can't remember his name. The, 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 the black, uh, the, I think, is he yeah, yeah. South African or English? He's British. Um, he's British. He was on Doctor Who uh, yeah. in one episode. They, they, they did a good job of, in the first episode, you think like he's a bad guy, but almost immediately you realize he, he's a, a victim of the situation as well. And they really sell it by how much Thea loves him. Uh, I yeah. mean, Thea, Thea's the moral heart. He's not a bad guy. He's a good guy. He, doesn't, he never does anything immoral on that show. I mean, it, even though I really like Iris on Flash... Mm-hmm. If, if if you can say, if you say okay, Iris is sort of the moral heart of Flash, and Thea is the moral heart of Arrow. I think Thea works better just because it's a brother sister relationship, and that's way more compelling. I know technically, you know, Iris and Barry grew up together, and really the only way to um uh to um uh explain Barry's obsession with Iris. Is mm-hmm. that, is that they grew up together, right? You know, it wouldn't make sense. Really, a lot of sense otherwise. Um, I, I just think Thea's asked to carry a lot of the load and totally nails it. Now, right now, where I'm at, she's still training with Malcolm Merlin. Uh, and I, I, now, having been further in the Flash and seeing the crossovers, I see that she uh, replaces Roy Harper apparently from, from yeah. what I saw. So that's not a spoiler for me, which is great because I don't love Roy Harper. She's way cooler. Having a brother sister superhero duo, having a younger sister myself is like a dream for me. I, I love that. Um, and if you read the comics, they've, they've been hinting at that since season one because the second Speedy in the comics is named Mia Dearden and Thea's middle name is Dearden. So when they conceived the character, I think they always intended for her to eventually become uh, Speedy. Okay. Um, so, um, right. Okay, so Speedy uh, slash Thea Queen is played by Willa Holland. Yep. Now, Willa Holland is about 25 years old at most, and she was a huge, like, modeling, like, young model, uh, what's it say? Yeah, she's been modeling and acting since age seven, and mm-hmm. it was actually Steven Spielberg who discovered her, if you can believe it. Really? Yeah, he, he, um... He he was like friends with with her dad or someone she you know with her family and encouraged them to put their daughter in front of the camera and she signed with Ford Modeling Agency at age seven so wow. you know this could totally be an example of child actor syndrome but she is really 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 talented and excellent again another actress who I think could could work on the big screen in the right role. And who I think we'll we'll be seeing a lot of going forward. She's just so subtle in her, um, uh, in her persona and just the way that she plays emotion and so forth. Um, you know, I just again I, I love the central cast of, of Arrow, the team. I love the team, but the the exterior stuff just doesn't work for me as much. Now, just the fact that Katie Cassidy gets to kick ass is already a major upgrade from before. Mm-hmm. You know, at least she's doing something useful. But, right. I, I, you know, I mean, the fact that I'm well into season three and 
let me put it this way. Is the idea that – do you think they always had the idea that it would be five seasons and in each of those five seasons you'd see one year of what happened on the island? Because that's what's going on so far. And it's kind of annoying but brilliant at the same time. I, I'm not – you know, that they're, that they're lining up like season one, year one on island. Season two, year two on island. Can't tell right. if I like it or not. It's well executed and I love, you know, anything with uh, with Oliver Queen, with Stephen Amell. Um, I don't know. How, how do you feel about the, the whole island thing? I've had the same thought of what are they going to do if, you know, this is season four they're at now, I four, believe. Right. I'm on three. So, I'm on three. Okay, so they're on season four. I believe it's been renewed. Um, so what are, you know, how much longer does this conceit last? Now, they don't have to keep sending him back to the island. They could just start introducing stuff that he just deals with as an adult. But yes, the time on the island conceit is going to, run out at some point there's only a limited number of days he can be there before he has to come back and be found do you Um, think the sarah lance um side of things was known about like before the series started that they were going to work her in not just to the story but into the island story uh you know what i'm saying yes okay because I, I think they definitely one of the plots they wanted to address very early on was whether or was how the uh, the um, I'm sorry the Lance's deal with the fact that she was on that boat that she died they don't you know they assume she was killed while she was cheating on you know her, while she was basically betraying her sister I mean. It's kind of a fucked up thing. Uh, oh, but yeah. It's I, a great think, setup. Yeah. Yeah. I think the plot was always intended to be something they were going to have to talk about. I, and, okay. This is my bigger problem. I love the darker tone of the first Arrow season. I miss it. They, they, they're trying to flashize it a little too much. And it ends up becoming generic because there's just too many structural similarities between Arrow and Flash. I love the crossovers between the two. The, mm-hmm. the chemistry, as I've been saying, between the two casts is excellent. I'm not saying I love that he was just killing people willy-nilly, but they they at least, you know, raise some moral complexity. Um, well, what I like in season two is that they actually address the fact that he's doing oh, it. It's so heavy-handed, though, constantly. Talk, I mean, that's the thing. They're, yeah, but they get away from the heavy-handedness of it by season three. They don't talk about how he doesn't have to kill, how he doesn't kill anybody anymore. Well, and uh, the thing that keeps it working for me is that every third or fourth episode, he's forced to kill a bad guy. And I'm cool with that yeah. middle ground, you know? That's the thing. And, but the other thing is... You know, while trying to save civilians, you are eventually going to kill one by accident. And I don't know why they can't deal with this in superhero movies other than the beginning of Captain America Civil War. And even in the beginning of Captain America Civil War, Elizabeth Olsen, as the Scarlet Witch, gets blamed for the deaths in Lagos. But, dude, if Crossbones had just blown up in the market, I think way more people would have died. Uh, I agree. Uh, I, I, I thought so that made the no actual sense. explosion didn't deliver the, oh my God, how could you let this happen, punch that they were hoping that it would. My point was only yes. that it's not that he, he doesn't kill anymore. It's the fact that he doesn't even seem to be aware of how willing he is to kill in season one. Right. And that's what he decides needs to change, that he needs to at least be a little bit more conscientious about 
his youth, use of lethal force. Yeah, and, ha- um, and, and bringing in Sarah, who never changes her mind about use of lethal force, is great a- yeah. as a contrast. I also, oh my god, so hot is daughter of Ra's al Ghul. I don't know who that lady is. She that is Nissa? sexy as hell. Yeah, she's awesome. I, I love that the, 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 uh, the, the League of Assassins or whatever is showing up. Uh, I think the Ra's al Ghul in the show is actually better than Liam Neeson. Um, I think that's just because of Liam Neeson overexposure. Um, but yeah, that see, and that's the thing. It, it, that's that's part of the ensemble equation that they could use more of. Not that they need more League of Assassins, but you know, bring in these different parts of the world. I think they're trying to do it. Again, I'm a season behind, so I'm not exactly sure. You know, if the grand plan was to lead into the, um, I always forget the name of the team up show. What the hell? Legends, Legends of, Tomorrow. of Tomorrow. If the gra- I don't think that was always the grand plan. I think that was an idea they came up with later. Okay. Um, All right. You know. So let's let you know. For sake of time, let's jump to Netflix real quick. Okay. As a comparison, right? So you got right. you got Flash and Arrow. There's been significant crossover. And then mm-hmm. you got Supergirl and even Constantine, where there's been a little crossover. So, you know, they're really trying to make the CW extended universe, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think they call it the Arrowverse. But yes, it is one coherent universe of characters. Okay. So- Except Gotham, which I don't ever want to show up on any of these shows because these <laughs> shows are good and that show is dog shit. Sure. Um, and so, you know, Netflix from the beginning had this planned out. Now, you know, Netflix was also taking from the Marvel Cinematic Universe model and putting it in the Netflix context. Daredevil Season 1 was pretty good. I know people who love that show. I mean, who really love it. I, I don't see it. I thought it was good, I not season great. One. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, it, it was good. Um, Jessica Jones, as you pointed out, I mean, it set the bar so high going forward because it's both the best comic book show ever and in many ways the least comic booky of the comic book shows. Oh yeah. This is the Winter Soldier argument, right? So the, the you know, the question with the Winter Soldier, um the Cap 2 movie is either A, do people love it so much because it's the least comic booky of the mo- of the Marvel movies or in spite of the fact. You know what I'm saying? Like is that part of the it's equation? Hard. It's hard to separate, right? I think in Jessica Jones' case, yes, the tonal difference between that show and everything else that had been done since uh, in the Marvel Universe up till that point, including Daredevil, it's so tonally different. Um, Because even Daredevil is sort of hopeful at the end. And I don't think Jessica Jones ends on a very hopeful note. I I think she kind of sees... Like, she's maybe able to achieve a, a degree of closure by... Spoiler killing uh Kilgrave at the end but i don't think she really feels like better about her life no and they're already they're already revealing in season two there's going to be a lot of fallout trauma wise from what she had yeah. to go through in season one which is the whole point but it is yeah, hopeful you and, can't solve ptsd by killing the person who traumatized you. and she never wanted to kill him is the thing she was forced right, exactly. to so she thinks that's a i think on some level she feels like that's a this whole mission of hers was a failure. She couldn't save the 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 track girl, you know, right. the one that kicks this whole uh, thing uh, off. It, yeah, uh, Hope Schlotman, played by Aaron Moriarty, who's brilliant as like a twenty year old actor. Go ahead. Yeah, she couldn't. She failed to save her. She failed to bring this guy to justice. So killing him at the end was what she had to do, but it really wasn't what she wanted to do. And 
for a character who kind of wants to regain a sense of agency over her own life, which is what I would imagine a lot of people who go through trauma and abuse want, this doesn't feel like it brings that for her. Okay. That's, that's kind of how I interpreted how the show ended. So and I, I loved it because it was complex and ambiguous. I didn't need this answer beaten over my head. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to go a little against that and say it was uh, more hopeful than the tone and it appeared on the surface because look at the characters whose lives she's impacted, who are still around Trish Walker as committed as ever to helping and loving Jessica. Mm-hmm. Ika Darville as Malcolm, who's going to be like her site, you know, her assistant slash secretary who's yeah. completely a Jessica Jones believer. She even got Hogarth to be a good person, at least temporarily in the end. Luke Cage, who had, you know, uh, interesting discussion, by the way, um, maybe bookmark this for a minute from now, is when was Luke Cage really Kilgraved for the first time? I like how they leave it ambiguous. But Luke, you know, in that final episode, you know, when he thinks they're going to arrest Jessica and, and he's with Rosario Dawson, he just woke up after the shotgun blast to the head, which is one of the coolest <laughs> things ever. Um, and, and he's like immediately going to go like break Jessica out of jail or whatever. So she's changed. You know, Hope, Hope, Hope kills herself to force Jessica's hand to kill Kilgrave. So yeah. anyways, even Robin, who's hated Jessica, is finally he got over her brother's death, you know? And so Jessica has this weird charisma where she hates people but she hates herself the most oh yeah and because of that which i would imagine is accurate to people who go through ptsd you know they blame themselves and whatnot well and the thing is she doesn't actually hate people she acts like she hates people but really no yeah it's a defense mechanism she doesn't she's afraid she might hurt somebody else or that somebody else might hurt her so she wants to keep everybody at a distance but what i'm saying is you know to go back to our bet with the defenders right is that despite all the darkness around her, she has this weird Pied Piper charisma about her where people Mm -hmm. are attracted to her and want to help her. Daredevil, I mean, again, haven't seen Daredevil season two, but season one is a lot of him pushing people away in a Batman sort of sense of it's safer if I'm secret and, and I work alone like Arrow. Jessica Jones is open about it and she's, you know, she, she claims to not want other people's help, but she does, you know, work with Trish a ton. She has a temporary relationship with Will and then Hogarth. I mean, she does work with other people. Charlie Cox, or as Matt Murdock, Daredevil, seems like more of a loner. Jessica seems like yes. more of a leader. And, and I think you're probably going to end up being right because Daredevil's the more popular property, I think. Um, that could I, I, be changing. No, I think I'm going to be right because I think the plot of what the Defenders is going to be about is going to involve characters like the Hand and the Black Sky stuff that was introduced in Daredevil, unless it has something to do with uh, whatever the plot of Iron Fist is about, which is also about mysticism and and magic and yeah. stuff like that. So I, those are the two characters that would be the have the most knowledge heading into the Defenders of what is about to go down. So that would make them the most logical choices to lead the team. I just um, think it would be ballsier for Marvel to go against the grain on this one. Ballsier, it, certainly. Yeah. I, I'm saying what I think is going to happen, no, I not understand. necessarily what I think would be coolest I mean, look, or what would, you know. Here's the reality. On IMDb, there's almost 200,000 ratings for Daredevil. has an 8.8. Okay. Jessica Jones has an 8.3 with less than half those number of ratings. So, okay. so just based on that... 
you know, Daredevil has twice the audience of Jessica Jones. Now, it's possible that because of all the award-winningness of Jessica Jones, people are kind of slowly starting to see it more over time. Whereas, you know, Daredevil, everyone was was keyed up for it, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, Jessica Jones... I think it crashed Netflix servers. So many people wanted to stream it simultaneously when it came out. Yeah. I mean, Jessica Jones succeeded based totally on its own merits. So many things could have gone wrong with that show. And even if they didn't go wrong, it still could have bombed because it's so off off kilter and, and different for a comic book show. Um, so going forward, we got Luke Cage coming out in the fall. Uh, you know, uh, by the way, Mike Coulter should be sending thank you notes to the Jessica Jones team every single day for for setting him up so much in, in JJ and and making him such a complex and, and interesting character already. Mm-hmm. I think Luke Cage is going to be good, not because I think Mike Coulter is a great actor, but because it's. I think it's going to be. Um, you know, they're talking about it like The Wire. Not as going to be as good as The Wire, but having that kind of tone, it's going to be a little slower paced um, and a little bit more talking about the nitty gritty of the you know the dirty part of dirty parts of the city. Um, yeah. uh, you know, as they all have for sure, but it'd be, it's going to be a different tone. Um, Iron Fist. I don't really know much about Iron Fist. He's he's sort of magicy in the comics. It's unclear yeah. how they're going to work him in. Uh, let me let me ask the big question. So they've said they're going to do the Defenders team up. It's going to be, quote-unquote, only six to eight episodes. Okay. Wouldn't it make just more sense to just do a freaking movie? Or, or, or You know what I mean? Like, It might, but I... I mean, think about I how mean, much money they're going to spend on the team up, and they're going to have to spend it, spread it over six to eight hours. What if you just took that fifteen twenty million and did a you know and did a two hour movie or something like a, you know low budget but still good looking movie? Um, yeah, I, the problem I have with that is one I don't know that a ton of Netflix like a lot of movies are just made for Netflix, and so if you're not going to do it on that medium, why would you make why would you make the culmination of your product? And then put it on a medium that isn't the one that you've been putting everything else on to date. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. I- I'm saying do the movie on Netflix, but just make it a film. Do they? Does Netflix do that though? That doesn't seem. Netflix to me seems to be shows and movies that come out in theaters that then go to Netflix. Well, you know, it doesn't seem like there are a lot of made-for-Netflix movies. Right, and this would be um, the per- – right, I'm, I'm putting forth a suggestion that doesn't exist and has right. not been talked about. I think that would be cool. And then you could do more of them. You could have a Defenders movie every two years, and it would just be a movie, you know, where yeah, they get to I team think up. they want to finish this project and okay. then – All right, so, okay, so, okay, so we, know, we know Luke Cage this fall, Iron Fist next year. Um, and then Defenders late 2017, which is going to be filmed back to back with Jessica Jones season two. The only the after Jessica Jones season two, we don't know anything. There's been no word about. Other, well, no, that's not true. There's going to be a Punisher series, I think. But Daredevil might be done, at least for now. I, I'm not sure they want to go three, four, five, six seasons with these shows, and and I give them props for that. It makes more sense to do, you know, two seasons per show if they're good. Do a Defenders team up 
and then switch to more characters. I mean, if God, if Marvel has one thing, it's a ton of fucking characters. Yeah. Um, actually, this would be a good question, Matt. Um, just to change it up a little bit. Um, this would be DC or um, Netflix. Maybe we can wrap up the TV stuff here because it's been a long podcast. But I really do want to get to um, you know bringing it all together, the state of the superhero. So let me let me finish with this question for now, and we'll revisit TV down the road, which is. You know, in DC or Marvel, like who, who have we not heard from in any format really that would be cool um, on TV, either either Netflix or, or, or network? Just any like comics yeah, character? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I prefer Pipe I, Dream for me. Yeah. Uh, would be Spider Jerusalem in the comic series Transmetropolitan, uh, which is Spider Jerusalem. What a cool Spider Jerusalem. That is his name. This is a Vertigo comic that Ooh, uh, Vertigo. I can't remember who it was written by, and I feel bad, so I'm going to Wikipedia that while we're talking. It takes place in the future. Spider Jerusalem is a journalist, so of course I love it, who is based very heavily off of uh, Hunter Thompson. You know, he wear, he smokes cigarettes with the filter. He's got shades. Oh, man, this he, picture of him is hilarious online. He's got shades where it's a... The, the, there's a red circle on one side yep. and a green. If I ever got a tattoo, my first tattoo <laughs> would be those sunglasses. I'm, I'm not kidding. I have thought oh repeatedly. It's written by Warren Ellis, uh, who is a bonkers comics writer. Um, I don't know how the hell they would translate this. It would honestly work better as a cartoon, just because it's so crazy in in the in this city that he lives in. Um, that's just called the city. Um, that I don't know how you would do it in a live action, um, but as a cartoon, it, it might actually work. All right. So me, this actually looks awesome. I'm going to explore this. Thank you for that. It's a great comic series. It's so cool. It has one of my favorite quotes, which is, uh, if you'll permit me, yes. Uh, journalism is just a gun, and it's only got one bullet, but that's all you need. You aim it right, and you can blow the kneecap off the world. It's <laughs> one of my favorite quotes i my i send that to my journalism teachers and they they like it that's great um that he is described as sarcastic drug addicted foul mouth troubled bitter but brilliant with a deep-seated hatred of authority political corruption and dogs <laughs> all of those things are true he has a cat with two faces that smokes cigarettes yeah. and pees acid urine yeah. um so what about what about from the marvel side just because i know that um I'm I'm struggling myself because I'm looking at my comic shelf here, and uh, you know most of the stuff is either X Men or, or in the Avengers universe, Doctor Strange and Black Panther. Mm. Um, I, you know it'll be interesting to see. So I've referred to Black Panther and Doctor Strange as as third tier characters, right? Just in terms of of sales and history. So like from the Marvel side, if Spider Man and X Men are tier one, and mm-hmm. then like Thor, Iron Man, and so forth are tier two. Then Black Panther, Doctor Strange, Captain Marvel, Miss Marvel, whatever, would be tier three. Um, right. I think in humans it's tier four almost, but they're yeah. somehow making it work. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they start pulling out. Like Trish Walker is kind of a, a joke in the comics. Yeah. But they make her into such an awesome, cool Jessica Jones best friend. In, in and the she's TV kind of show. a merge of two different characters, I think. Yes. As is Jessica Jones. Well, just. Right. Right, Jessica Jones, because there's the jam or whatever, Jewel, and yeah. Jewel, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but there's a, there's a Patsy Walker who's something, and then there's a Trish somebody else, so they kind of merged the two together. They did the same thing with um, Rosario Dawson's character, uh, 
Claire Temple, who is kind of two different characters in the comics. Uh, oh, and there's going to be a lot of Claire Temple and Luke Cage. Thank God. We yeah. need more Rosaria Dawson. She's fucking awesome. Yeah, and she was terrific in season two of Daredevil, which was one sentence summary. Yes. Or two sentence summary. Go. John Bernthal is fucking awesome as Punisher. Elodie Young is terrible as Elektra. Interesting. My dad liked Elektra, but he's he's not uh, initiated the way that, that you and I are. Um, so, um, okay. Sounds like we're in a cult. Okay, well, I have the perfect transition into the final section. We're talking about the future of comic book properties. Yeah. Because you and I have talked extensively, and even before we started recording today, about our mixed feelings about the future of all of this. Yeah. Where are the great sci-fi and fantasy TV shows? Where are they? There's none. There are none. I mean, other than Battlestar Galactica, I really like Stargate Universe, which had nothing to do with the other Stargate shows. That lasted mm-hmm. two seasons. Sarah Connor Chronicles was a season and a half. It was great. In the last 10 years, you have all this money on comic book properties, no good sci-fi or fantasy. And, you know, again, I know you think it's a joke, but part of the reason I'm excited about Warcraft is just to have a straight-up fantasy movie. Right. Even if it's cheesy, you know? Just, I love that genre. It's why I almost saw Jupiter Ascending, but never did. And, <laughs> and probably some lonely 3 a.m. moment, we'll, we'll watch some of it at some point, because I love Eddie Redbane and Mila Kudis. But I, it's, that's how desperate I am. Any theories about, especially with Netflix, you, you think with Game of Thrones, I mean, Vikings I put in the fantasy element i really like vikings although i haven't seen much of the current season i think it's way better more entertaining than game of thrones but that's it for but like it is medieval trying fantasy to be game stuff. of thrones it's not set in a vike in a fantasy setting but it very much feels like a fantasy show i've never watched it but just the way it's shot the way the weapons the armor it very much it's is shot taking way a better. lot it's shot way better I'm not disputing that. What I'm saying is it's taking a lot of its cues from fantasy as a genre. Oh, absolutely. He- heavily. There, I, I mean, mean, there's a reason. Which is great. I'm fine. Go, more power to him. Yeah, there's a reason why Travis Fimmel, who um, plays Ragnar Lothbrook, who's the, the lead male character, um, right. along with Catherine Winnick, who plays Lagertha, his, his ex-wife, lover, best friend, mother of his oldest son, um, the two of them are really the lead, the co-leads of the show. There's a reason why Travis Fimmel is playing the lead knight in Warcraft. You know, right. it, that is a very easy transition for him, and he's basically playing Ragnar in the clips online, which I love because he has got a very quirky sense of how he moves and talks and and, and moves. You know, he kind of sneaks around people. He's kind of a slinker, even as a king. Very compelling character. The things. Quick plug: what Vikings does. Um, that Game of Thrones doesn't do is limit the number of characters and go much more into depth with them. Um, it's, I mean, let's put it this way. Battlestar may have had an ensemble cast, but Game of Thrones has like five times as many characters with lines as Battlestar. Vikings, right. Vikings is more in the Battlestar format of having you know a dozen or so um, you know, characters that have significant time on screen and really focusing in on that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so forth. But yeah, I, I mean, theories about where, where the really good site... Someone told me the 12 Monkey Show is decent. I haven't watched it. <laughs> Someone Terrific I trust. Someone I trust not to... No, because yeah. I was actually about to bring that up. Okay. I really think the place to look for sci-fi... For fantasy, the only thing we have right now are movies and Game of Thrones and, and, stuff, that's, and stuff like Vikings, I guess. Sure. Um, now, Game of Thrones is a very well-done show, 
Um, I don't read the books. I tried to read the first one and got so bored I put it down. I agree. I've heard if you can get through the first one, the next bunch are good. Um, it's the opposite but, of what I want in fantasy. It's all oh, me too. yeah. I, I, I it's not a world I want to escape into um, at all. And one of the things I've talked about about why I love Discworld Terry Pratchett's books is because that world is so attractive to me. Westeros sucks. Everybody sucks in it. The people who don't suck are dead. Yeah, you I, know the way you, the, <laughs> you know the way you feel about. Um, comic book properties like BVS that you don't like, which are just too dark and killing people and don't yep. care about civilians. Mm-hmm. That is my exact, as a fantasy nerd for almost my entire life, that is my exact feeling about Game of Thrones. Which I think you'll appreciate this. So one of the guys cast this season is the actor Shane Black, who is a British actor. And he was talking about Wait, what's going to happen Shane on Black the show. Shane Black a director? Or, I always confuse Shane Black and Ian McShane. Ian McShane, who was in... Um, uh, Deadwood. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. That's who you're thinking of, yeah. Sorry, everybody. I've confused that in my head like 50,000 times. So Ian McShane is going to be on <laughs> Game of Thrones this season. He was being interviewed. He started talking about actual things that are going to happen in this show, and fans started to get mad at him for spoiling things. And his comment was, y'all need to relax. It's just tits and dragons. <laughs> 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 and Which, not even a lot of dragons. It's mostly it, just tits. If there were more yeah. dragons, I'd be more interested. <laughs> I think I one time described it to a friend of mine as boobs and stabbing. Uh, <laughs> Don't forget raping. Um, lots yeah, of raping. And the sexual and, uh, violence yeah. stuff, I, I can't stand. I don't understand how women... It's so bad. Like, uh, I don't know how women get behind that show. I don't. I, and I'm not one to tell women to like something or don't like something, but... I, as a man, am highly offended by the extreme masochism and misogyny and and sexism and rape and incest and so forth in that show. I think it says something about our society that people are so titillated by that, don't you think? It's it's kind of upsetting. But especially the thing is, if we had more straight-ahead fantasy, good fantasy on TV, I wouldn't care. But it's like Game of Thrones is the only show in town, and and it's the exact opposite. I mean, I'm rereading some childhood fantasy right now, man, and and it's all about adventure. And yeah, you know, it's a little good guy, bad guy but if it's well-written and there's a good adventure to it, you get behind it like nothing... there's five seasons of Game of Thrones. Nothing has happened except death and rape and misery. Yeah, I, I what I think George R. R. Martin would say, and probably correctly, is he's not pretending that the Middle Ages weren't like this, that violence and murder and probably sexual violence and misogyny weren't just part of everyday life. I get that. I buy that to some extent, but the degree to which the show just dwells on it and focuses on it and doesn't seem to get why anybody would be bothered by it that's what bothers me like all right so uh, the spoiler i want to bring up is from last season it, this lot of people got mad at the show over this sophie turner uh plays sansa stark she is one of the daughters of of sean bean's character who dies in season one she basically doesn't have any agency ever. She is just constantly taken to different kingdoms to marry different people. Mm-hmm. And in this last season, she is married to a guy named Ramsey Bolton, who is a total sociopath. I mean, he chops off dudes' dicks. He lets people get eaten by dogs. He stabs people in the throat. He's a horrible human being on every level. They, why she gets married to him, I don't remember anymore. But they get married, and you know it's the wedding night. Oh god! And and so, 
in her last marriage, which is to Tyrion Lannister, um, the dwarf, the character, uh, they never actually consummate their marriage because he's too good a person to force an underage girl to have sex with him against her will. Ramsay Bolton has absolutely no problem doing this. And so he violently shoves her on the bed and forces her sort of adopted brother, for lack of a better term, a a ward uh, that was taken during a war a long time ago named Theon, to watch him rape her. And then they don't even have the courtesy to show it happening to her, which I didn't want to see, but they make the camera on Theon watching this horror like him watching somebody get raped is somehow worse yes, and a lot of, than her getting raped yeah and, and a lot of feminist uh responses point exactly to not just the yeah. rape but how it was framed so uh had a little bit of a power outage there apologize for that Bizzlecast listeners so um we're gonna do um a wrap-up on tv and the lack of fantasy and sci-fi on tv and then we're gonna talk about the state of uh, the comic book superhero universe. So go ahead, Matt. Yeah, so I think where you're going to see a lot of the good sci-fi and fantasy in the coming years is in channels like Sci-Fi Network and BBC America. Sci-Fi Network has 12 Monkeys, which I know some of your friends recommended. It's pretty cool. Um, it, it runs off the rails occasionally, but then does an adequate job getting itself back on it. It definitely explores the mechanics and philosophy of time travel and causality. Um, I think I like the characters. Um, I kind of want to see where it goes in next season and the season after. They've got another show that I can't remember if it just came out or if it's about to come out called The Magicians, um, mm. which is the conceit is like uh, it's not YA, but they like go to a school. They all have magic, but being able to do magic is like doing drugs, so you get addicted to it, and it, it's overcomes you um but i've heard uh, which by the way they're sort of teasing a similar dynamic with dr strange a little bit yeah they sort of driven mad i guess that's come from the comic book that the magic kind of drives him mad go ahead and then uh meanwhile turning over to bbc america you have doctor who which is not at a great place right now but that show has such a a presence just because it's such a, um, a part of british culture that I don't think even if it were to go off the air, it would go off the air forever. I think somebody else would just come along in a few years, have a new idea for Doctor Who, and they would just start it back up again. Um, because that show has proven you can basically take 20 years off and then just get right back into it, and people will just pick it up again. Um, and you have Orphan Black, which is about clones, which doesn't have a ton of viewers but the people who watch it are really really big fans of it 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 really has a very strong following um it the plot is going crazy but it is definitely well acted the cast is great obviously the star uh whose name i believe is tatiana maslani or something like that is Mm -hmm. fantastic um they really she should get an uh, an emmy nomination at some point have i heard of her before nowhere it's this show if you've okay. ever heard that name, you heard about it from this show. Um, she oh is, wait, oh or oh, it's on Netflix. Probably. Yeah, you know it's so funny. I, I the only reason I noticed it, <laughs> Orphan Black, right? Yeah. Was that the picture they have of her on Netflix? I was like, is that Summer Glow? And I clicked on it. I was like, no, it's not Summer Glow, but this sounds kind of cool. I actually have it queued up. I haven't watched it yet. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah, Tatiana Maslany. The rest of the cast is really good, too. 
but she is, I mean, she plays like 10 different characters and it's amazing some of the shit she can do because there are scenes where two of the clones talk to each other and occasionally even touch each other. And so I've seen behind the scenes on how they shoot scenes like that. It's a really amazing kind of what they're able to do technically to pull that off. And the fact that she's able to embody so many different roles simultaneously is really impressive. Speaking of um, standalone sci-fi shows on Netflix, did you ever see Sense8? I heard Sense8 was terrible. Yeah, the ratings were good, but ever, oh, I mean, in terms of just the number of stars, but my dad watched it, didn't love it, and then everything I heard was like, eh, I'm not going to check this out. Wachowski's got nothing left. Yeah, it's the Wachowski's. It's more lazy, confused philosophy. I, the yeah. Wachowski's are so hit and miss. They, I mean, but, go ahead. Yeah, well, no, I was just going to say, this is, I mean, th- this is a good way to enter the finale, which is the recycling of. Uh, directors, recycling of actors, recycling of ideas. Even if 12 Monkeys is a cool show, which it sounds like it kind of is, it's still recycling an idea or a property. Then you got the Wachowskis, you know, who really, the only reason they can get any of these projects off the ground is because they did The Matrix, but they haven't really done anything great since The Matrix. I like um, Steve for Vendetta. Um, I did too, but they, they were super they, heavy handed. You know, he actually directed says, it. Yeah, they did. Nope, they produced it. the The director was the first assistant director on The Matrix, whose name I'm blanking on. Oh. They they were the producers and the overseers, but it was not directed by them. Oh, fine. Um, but yes, I did like Viva de Vendetta, and I have that uh, also queued up to rewatch. Uh, uh, underrated Natalie Portman role, I would say. Yeah, and Talk I like Cloud mess. Atlas. Actually, it's got so many flaws, but ultimately, I did like it. Okay, that's one I need to get going. So, um, all right, man. Well. Since you weren't on the Civil War podcast uh, with uh, Gabriel and my buddy Noah, but you did listen to it and we've talked about it, why don't you give the Bizzlecast listeners just a quick, you know, couple minute, um, you know, review or just thoughts uh, of Civil War? Um, it can be stuff that we talked about or didn't talk about. So go ahead. What would you think about Captain America: Civil War? I really liked Civil War. Um, I think. Uh, Winter Soldier was probably a better done, better put together movie. But Agreed. but I don't like spy movies in general. I don't like the Bourne movies. I've never been a big Bond guy, and that movie is much more of a spy or political thriller movie. And Civil War is more of just a straight action film. There's some spy stuff to it, but much less than Civil War. So I actually found it appealed to me a little bit more. I thought. It delivered on the promise of an exciting, action-packed, fun, giant fight scene, um, which I really think is the best large-scale fight scene Marvel has done since the Battle of New York and the Avengers. I agree with you guys that Daniel Bruhl acted the hell out of his role, and he certainly imbued Zemo with a lot of emotion and depth, but his plan doesn't make any sense and would be almost impossible to actually execute because it relies on knowing exactly how about two dozen different people are going to act and there's like 80 different places that plan should have fallen apart um and the third act like so many other marvel movies isn't very very good at all um i liked it i i think marvel admitted that they kind of paid a certain number or they allowed a specific set of trade publications to review it ahead of time to talk because they knew they would talk it up um I don't know why they bothered to do that. I think they would have gotten good reviews anyway, but I think what those reviews did is raise everybody's expectations to an unreasonable level. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, theory. Um, you know, based on the 
the actual critics' reviews and user reviews post the movie, it's been consistent. So maybe it did raise our expectations, but it's not like there was a major drop-off in the score. Um, you know, I think we can agree that it was still a very, you know, well-done and entertaining comic book movie. The Russos, we, you know, I talked about this, I, that I was concerned about them handling a giant superhero movie. Mm-hmm. And, and now they have to do The Avengers. I love the spy stuff, personally. I love that you had Cap and a Jason Bourne type movie, but that's a genre thing. I just really like that. And that's why my favorite action sequences in Civil War were the, the first two, the one in Lagos where everything goes horribly wrong, but it's really fun before that happens with Elizabeth Olsen throwing people everywhere. I love that. And then the Black Panther Bucky Cap, um, uh, Sam Wilson running slash jumping slash uh, flying slash crawling through the uh, the streets of uh, God. Where are they at that point? Germany or Austria? It's like I Germany, think so. Austria. Yeah, yeah. So um, I love those early action scenes. I still think Whedon does team stuff the best. We won't go there. So let me just ask you real quick. Um, and, and then I have a couple specific questions about Civil War, and then we can get on to TV and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? I guess what was the 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 character um, that kind of surprised you the most in terms of your expectations and your knowledge compared to um, it surprised in a good way compared to what you actually saw on screen? Where you're like, wow, I didn't expect this character to do X, Y, or Z, or, or have this much screen time, or do so much with so little screen time. Well, it's two, and it's the two everybody like literally everybody has said is Spider-Man and Black Panther. I would yep. actually say Spider-Man surprised me more just because, one, I expected Black Panther to be really well done because um, Chadwick Boseman is a good actor and because everybody was... And because he's coming in with almost nothing pre-existing that would make you think he wouldn't be good. Spider-Man has been so up or down in the movies. Totally. You know, the amazing ones are, are bad. Spider-Man 3 was bad. Uh, but Tobey Maguire was good. So it was really a question of, you know, about what was Tom Holland, a very unproven actor, going to be able to do with the role. And he definitely surprised me with how much life, with how much depth, with how much fun he, and energy he was able to bring with a limited number of lines, with basically two scenes, um, and no and zero effort to actually explain why he is the way he is. I mean, he has that... The way he explains his pow- why he does what he does is great, but they don't ever talk about the spider bite, and they don't ever talk about Uncle Ben. So we're just kind of left to make assumptions, which are easy if you know the character, hard if not, about who this guy is. But he still brings the character immediately to life. Um, so I think Holland surprised me more than Bozeman, only because I expected a lot out of Bozeman, and I got it. Yeah, and if you look at it, Spider-Man's the least subtle character, um, Black Panther's the most subtle character from a drama standpoint. Spider-Man, for me, was made great by his relationship with Robert Downey Jr. Black Panther was made great by just a you know spectacular solo performance mm-hmm. uh, where he, he really could care less about any of the other characters. And yeah. there were some people online who just said, oh, he looks so you know removed. He seems so separate. It's like, yeah, that's how it is in the comics. He thinks he's better than everyone because he kind of is. Um, and, but that's part of his journey, and that's going to be part of his journey. And obviously, he'll end up fighting with the Avengers against Thanos, but he has to go through his personal journey. I mm-hmm. thought the Black Panther setup was brilliant. Um, and not just in terms of the cosmological stuff, but the drama stuff. I mean, he really felt like T'Challa to me. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, 
Yeah, and uh, as I've said, you know, as cool as the Black Panther costume was in the fighting with it, my favorite stuff, both dramatically and in the action, was where he was just T'Challa. The fight with T'Challa against the Winter Soldier at the CIA base was fantastic. You had to see T'Challa kick ass even without the suit. They made him such a badass, and then you're going, okay, is he really a king? And then we finally see him at the end as a king, and looking over his huge, powerful, maybe not huge, but his powerful kingdom, and with his high technology, so graceful both he and the Wakandans I mean everything is lining up for Coogler um, who's directing it it looks like Lupita Nyong'o is going to be the love interest in that movie I mean this is just really setting up to be awesome and I never thought I would be excited about Spider-Man actually you might recall, man, that when they first... You hate Spider-Man. Well, one, I hate Spider-Man in the past, but, you know, I try to be open-minded. But as I told you in one of our earlier podcasts, when they first announced it, I was scared he was going to steal the screen from Black Panther and other characters. And as great as he was, he didn't steal from Black Panther in the sense that Black Panther came across awesome still. But I could not have predicted the troika of Robert Downey Jr., Marissa Tomei, and Tom Holland working so well. You can already see that movie. I mean, yeah. you, you could take just that scene with the three of them, and it already looks like that's coming directly from a Spider-Man movie, right? I agree. Although I have to say, your idea, your opinion that uh, Marissa Tomei is going to become a love interest for Stark, I don't buy it. It's Are you Stark. kidding me? He calls her Aunt Hottie. He says you're unusually yeah. hot aunt. I mean, he's like t- constantly calling her hot. <laughs> he is flirting with her constantly, but we're kind of used to thinking of Stark as the guy who's, who's with Pepper Potts, but when the first Iron Man starts, he sleeps with everybody. He's a womanizer. He is... Yeah, but he's older now. He's much more seasoned. He's been through hell. I think he's hell. flirting with her because he flirts with everybody. I, I don't necessarily think they're going to date or anything like that. I, I All right, let's put a um let's put a defenders type bet on this one. So, if they <laughs> if, if they end up being love interests, um then let's put it this way. If they don't end up being love interests, I'll read a Spider-Man trade paperback, which is like torture <laughs> for me. Okay. And uh, what about if you if you lose? What what would be torture for you? Mm-hmm. I mean, that would still be a decent comic book, but just a character or whatever that you hate. Well, I really got to think about that. All right, we'll get back to that. We we'll get back yeah. to that. Anyways, whether they're just flirty or end up in a relationship or not, they clearly those three have good chemistry with one another already. Yes. And absolutely. It, it, look, whether it's RDJ or not, man, they cast Marissa Tomei for a reason. You know, I mean, her her level of beauty and talent at her age is just unbelievable. She's such a chameleon. She's you know she's playing different versions of herself, but it's always amazing. She's an Academy Award winner. She's been in all types of movies. She's funny. She can play right. the drama well. I, I think just you know, her and Tom Holland would have been able to carry it without Robert Downey Jr. Jr. Uh, RDJ just puts it over the top for me. Um, but, um, but they, those two could have definitely carried it. Uh, wouldn't you agree even without Robert Downey Jr.? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the ease with which, uh, Tomei and Holland are, are able to interact with each other. Yep. Despite, I mean, I can't imagine they've ever been on a property together before. speaks to both of their talent. Um, and it is very nice to have a actor playing Spider-Man who actually looks like a kid. Yeah, he was great. Absolutely great. He was the annoying but hilarious Spider-Man that everyone's been wanting. And, you know, even the the nerds that I listen to that love Spider-Man talk about how being a little annoying is part of his character. And I'm cool with that, as long as the writing and the quippiness and the execution keeps coming through. So I'm actually excited, against all odds, 
uh, about the Spider-Man movie. I am biased when it comes to Marissa Tomei, but, you know, you had Robert Downey Jr., who, by the way, just really quickly, and then we'll, uh, we'll try and wrap on Civil War and move to TV stuff, um... I mean, this was like almost an Oscar level performance. I don't think it quite got there, but especially if you put it in context of how we know Tony Stark to be and act and speak and so forth up to this right. point, it almost seemed like a different guy. Like I, I bought his post Ultron trauma in this way more than his post New York trauma in Iron Man two, uh, three, if that makes sense. Like, he really felt traumatized to me. He here. did a great job. I'm not going to go anywhere near saying that's os- it was an Oscar-worthy performance. It was a good performance. It okay. was a believable performance. Okay, but so you weren't totally blown away by it. No, um. I, I was convinced by it, which is all I need to be. Um, yeah. You know, I bought, that, I bought his decision, why he supports the Accord, and I bought, uh, you know, why this conversation with the, uh, the Secretary of State woman, you know, that he meets in the elevator, that why that terrible. got to him so much. You didn't like that? It was so forced, you know? Like, that's what would set him over the top. I think it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. I, I don't think it's the thing that, that makes him... Uh, I mean, dude, I love Ultron, and I love the whole Sokovia part of Ultron, but they, they fell back on Sokovia over and over I, again. I mean, to make Zemo from Sokovia... It was just sort of a cop out. The woman I was fine with, and other people, but you know, for Zemo to just be yet another revenge fantasy from Sokovia yeah. about Tony Stark, you know, and the political themes weren't that deep, and the final battle between the three main guys, while well, it was cool to watch, it was predictable. We had seen some of it. There wasn't enough dialogue, so yeah, definitely a weak third act. Um, really quick, and then we'll move to television because Bizzlecast listener Matt is. Uh, is somewhat of an expert on comic book television, and he's going to be running a, a lot of that segment because he's got some some real knowledge and thoughts about all these properties. So, um, you know, real quick, I love the Scarlet Witch and Vision. I'm curious to know what you thought in their limited time. I liked Scarlet Witch. Um, I did not love her. Um, Paul Bettany is one of my favorite actors. Right. I the scene, the later stuff with him, I wasn't crazy about. Um, but the scene where he just walks through the door. Or the wall, yeah. and he's and he doesn't understand why that's not the way you walk through walls or why you how you enter a room. I loved that. I thought that was so funny and so charming, and it it speaks to kind of both what he's trying to do to understand how to be human, but also the ways in which he is very far you know behind the curve. Yeah, I love the Scholar Witch. I love Elizabeth Olsen. I've loved her everything about her performance. In uh, the first two movies she's been in, people have said they dialed back the accent, which I'm totally fine with. I, I, yeah, I don't I, care I, about that. <laughs> I don't care about it, and it would make sense. She's hanging out in America all the time. You know, it wasn't that thick to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a great presence about her because she was, you know, totally crazy in the first movie, and she, there was something pretty zen about her in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that would that even made Vision uncomfortable. Uh, you know, ultimately Vision ended up being distracted because of her. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, as I've come to, uh, you know, I quote unquote predicted that they would be buddies or more after seeing Ultron, not remembering or realizing that that's how it was in the comics. Yeah. And they, don't, aren't they date? Don't they date? They're married at some point in the comics, I believe, or they're together for an extended period. She's, you know, she's like 26. You know, she comes from a very non-traditional background, obviously, with her older twin sisters. She's only been acting for a few years. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, just what she does with her face and, and the way she moves her hands around, she totally gets her powers. Like, she totally gets what they're supposed to look like. I thought it looked, in terms of the powers themselves, it looked better in Ultron. They tried to dial back the red um, mm-hmm. to go with the Russo's darker color palette. I think it works better when you just go straight scarlet red. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah, so, you know, it wasn't perfect. But, you know, you, you think after the first scene where, where she's the centerpiece, um uh in lagos that they would just dial her back action wise but the airport battle she's the only thing keeping the cap team in the battle pretty much i mean yeah uh so i I love her she's just gonna keep getting better she's gonna be one of those new avengers going forward where i don't think she'll get her own movie at least not for a while i I doubt she'll ever get her own movie she's never really had her own series so yeah um but she'll still be one of the centerpieces um uh, unlike uh, Black Widow, who, um, Bizzlecast listeners, by the time you hear this, you've probably heard uh, that it's all but official that we're getting a Black Widow movie. Marvel was behind the curve on this one, obviously. Um, r- real quick thoughts on Black Widow movie, then we're going to jump to TV. Go ahead, Matt. It's about damn time. Thank you. I mean, I, that that's... Captain Marvel should be good. Wonder Woman is obvious. I would say is probably the most well-known female superhero ever but i mean scarlett johansson has put her time in on all these other projects she deserves to and she's been kind of shafted by marvel in a lot of ways she deserves to to be given her own film and she's certainly a good enough actress to do a good job with it um what it's going to be about who knows yeah I mean, her short but really affecting performance in Civil War has tracked extremely well. Everyone I've talked to and everything I've read, despite the fact she's not on screen a ton, this was some great Natasha going on here. Because mm-hmm. she's the only one on Team Iron Man that I could really understand. You know, she, she talks about having one hand on the wheel. And, you know, for Scarlet, it's always about the, getting the advantage. Or I should say, Black Widow, it's always about getting the advantage. Mm-hmm. I don't think she ever planned on, you know, obeying the Accords, e- even before she flips at the end. You know, at the beginning when she agrees to it, I never thought she was going to commit to them long term. She just thought it was sort of a holding strategy until they could regroup and figure out something. She wasn't as sort of... I, I, that's the thing. Robert Downey Jr. was the ideological one in terms right. of backing the accord. She was the practical one. And as I predicted, you know, Cap, you know, ends up making his choices in this movie based on pragmatism more than ideology. You know, everything, you know, about Cap, at least the old Cap, you'd think he would at least consider it, but he talks about wanting his hands free. He talks about not being able to do what they need to do. Um, They didn't oversell Cap. If anything, they undersold it a little bit. But, you know, you pointed out, his personality has been pretty consistent since moment one. Um, So maybe we just finish with praise of Chris Evans here. This was barely a Captain America movie. It was really Cap vs. Iron Man, Avengers style. I, I, did you think uh, Cap got enough time in this for his own movie? Uh, probably, yeah. Yeah, just barely, but yeah, I think he did. Um, I'm not sure why I think that, but I, I, th- I felt like his story was done. <laughs> 